0: because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now in-store or online. Kroger,
2: fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids, you know he likes to keep his style cool and casual.
1: On Friday, when a man traveled all the way from Virginia to hook up with a teenage girl, he may have led to believe that he was younger than he was. Austin Lee Edwards is 28 years old, and he actually completed the Virginia State Police Academy in January and joined the Virginia State Police and did work for some time as a trooper. Steve Gregory's been following this story and can give us all the details and answer our questions.
0: Yeah. What,
2: what was going on here? Yeah, so, he hooked up with this girl, and then he ended up killing...
0: Well, I think he tried to. I think uh, these, these are some of the answers that we are asking the questions to uh, that we need answers for, rather, with the <laughs> Riverside authorities. But uh, this guy did travel out here. He was a trooper up until October when he resigned, and then he joined... Uh, a sheriff's department. So at the time of his demise yesterday, he was a sworn deputy uh, in Virginia. So apparently he did what they called catfishing. And catfishing is is a big problem right now and has been for quite some time. That's when someone goes online to pretend they're somebody else. And presumably someone that's 28 years old that's uh, trying to attract the affection of someone who's under 18 would presumably be, you know, position themselves as someone along the same age category because they're having a lot of problems now with sextortion and especially with younger kids and in and, and teens. They're having this. This is a really big problem right now. The FBI and local authorities are really um, struggling with this. But this guy drives across the country. On Friday morning, he starts to have an argument of some kind with this girl and somebody notices it, calls the police and concerned for the girl's welfare. So they're The argument must have been visual enough or, uh, uh, you know, uh, rough enough for someone to call the cops and say, we need to do a welfare check on this girl. When cops arrived, the man and the girl were gone. Within a couple minutes later, black smoke was seen billowing from the back of a home, just a few homes, a few houses down from where the two were arguing. Firefighters rushed to the scene there. All the attention went to this fire and uh, at the conclusion of the fire, they pulled three dead bodies out. And then as they started to put it all together, they realized this was the girl's mother and the girl's grandparents. All three of them were dead, and they've been identified as 65-year-old Cherie Winnick, um, 69-year-old Mark Winnick, and 38-year-old Brooke Winnick. Um, the name of the girl obviously isn't being released. She's a juvenile. And as you guys mentioned, this is a 28-year-old Austin Lee Edwards of North Chesterfield, Virginia, is the cop. Um, so after that, then it looks as though um, this Austin Lee Edwards and the girl took off, and they don't know, and that's kind of part of the timeline they have to put together. They put out a, uh, an alert on the car. It was a Kia, and they put out an alert, and then yesterday afternoon, someone spotted the Kia in the Mojave Preserve out in an unincorporated area, unincorporated area of San Bernardino County called Kelso. And when I look at it on the map, it's smack dab in the middle of the Mojave Preserve. So they were in this Mojave area. And some uh, at some point along the way, a helicopter from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department come upon him. And this Austin Lee Edwards jumps out of the vehicle and points a gun at the helicopter. And that's when they shot and killed him.
1: Wow. He did not fire that we know of. He and just it, pointed it the gun at That's not, been, what, not what, been released.
0: What, what a wacko. Uh, yeah. They just try to shoot a, a police helicopter. Yeah, and, and let me tell you, San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, they train in mm. that uh shooting from the air, so you don't you don't want to yeah. screw with those guys. You're not going to win that one. No, you're not going to win that one. Uh um, So they shot him dead. Mhm. And the girl? Girl was rescued thankfully and she's in right now in protective custody with child services in it, San Bernardino. But her County.
2: mother's dead and her grandparents are dead. Yep.
0: Wow, I guess she hasn't we haven't heard of her telling any stories yet about what no, happened. Huh? No, and, and and here's the thing, I this could go a couple different ways because there's really no case now. Um, because the girl, for all intents and purposes, the girl is a victim as well. She was the victim of this catfishing. Um, and the, the argument I mean, she it was labeled, and, it was characterized that she was abducted. And where was the argument? Because I presume she was living with at least she was with the parents, uh, the grandparents, with, and the mother. All right, in the house. so she They're lived in that house. house, right?
2: Where were they, she and
0: and uh, so this cop. They were just a few doors down because uh-huh. he parked at a neighbor's home, and that's where he parked, and that's where he was seen arguing with the girl.
2: Oh, in front of the house, I guess.
0: Close to the house, Close yeah. The house. And this was in the 11200 block of Price Court. Now, it's in an area known as the La Sierra South neighborhood of Riverside.
2: So so, so the police show up
0: to investigate the argument. But I guess in the meantime, he'd run inside and... They had gone inside. Now, presumably, yeah. I mean, because there's not, nothing's been released in terms of cause and manner of death, but it was a firefighter that was heard on scanner audio on Friday that characterized, it says, we have three murdered people in here. So there must have been something external, some sort of external trauma to indicate that they had been killed. Mm-hmm. And, and you can presume, if you'd like, that since there was a gun involved and he had a gun that maybe they were shot and killed but and then, we don't know and that then he maybe hit. he set the house on fire to and cover it up presumably set the house on fire and then he and the girl took off and again it was characterized that the girl was abducted and so well, when they took off it you was you would
2: think she he, she wouldn't want to go voluntarily after uh
0: he killed her mother no yeah, yeah. and this and the thing this is, is you know I started when I was you know researching and, and looking at this it started to come off like that case from before with the girl and the father.
1: Yes. Remember that one where they had yeah. where, where they had where it, the big shootout. It,
0: it was assumed that she was abducted and then ended up becoming possibly an active participant in um you know in the in, in what had gone down. Right. But um so in this case it doesn't appear that, that it's similar. I mean there were some similarities but not and you know it's just that this again we don't know how old this girl is. She's a juvenile because she's in protective custody so we know she's under 18. But the, uh, you know, the Riverside Police Department's the lead agency on this, Uh, San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department, of course, their role is that they were able to stop the guy. Um, But the Riverside PD right now, they've all been working pretty hard on this. So it's uh, they're not giving out any new information, uh, but um, you imagine the guilt she's going to feel for the rest of her life. Yeah. And this is the thing I was talking to a a cyber crimes person, and and they said sometimes. These cyber crimes, these sextortions and other things, this is what leads some of these kids to commit suicide. Because some of these young kids have been coerced into sending naked photos of themselves to someone they think is the same age as them and ends up being a 50-year-old man. Yeah. And then the 50-year-old man turns around, emails back, says, okay, I've got your photos, you better send us $500. You're telling a 13-year-old kid to send him $500. It's
2: going to be tough to tell dad.
0: So now, yeah, and then the kid can't go forward and say, you know, mom, dad, this is what I did. And they said, this is a huge problem right now because these young kids, you know, they don't really know how to process all this stuff. And then they realize naked photos of themselves is, are in possession of somebody else that's not who they claim to be. That's the catfishing part. And they're certain that he did portray himself as younger? Well, they're using the term catfishing. And so that that typically means he's pretending to be someone he's not. So whether he said he was a 28-year-old man and was something other than he said, either way, he lied about his identity online and was able to get her personal information and vital information somehow by lying and deceiving her into giving up that information.
1: Yeah, I think a likely scenario is he finally shows up in person at that house, and it didn't go well with the mother and the grandparents. Yeah, well, that
0: is just...
1: He decided to off them and take off with her, and she resisted, and that's why people heard an argument of some kind.
2: That's just one of the scariest things in the world for a parent, because everybody's kid is online, and you don't know who they're talking to, and you have horrible judgment, especially with your hormones raging. And... You know there's there's like iron rules in life like don't ever send anybody anything any naked yeah, pictures nothing. don't talk to anybody you don't know online well don't do that but you know the temptation is huge if you think the guy is flattering and he's might
0: be or presents himself as being
2: cute and
0: sometimes they'll, send pictures. they'll sure, send pictures yeah. of other people that are not them now to Ken's point this is I'm, I'm kind of along the lines of what Ken's saying I think this guy somehow felt this was the time to head out mm-hmm. and he drove out and confronted either confronted or something something happened somewhere the parents caught wind may they may not have maybe maybe he just didn't want the parents in the in the picture anymore or the parent in the grandparents who knows and we we may never know now but they were found so is it in the doorway? Is that what I heard? Yeah, or somewhere? Were, yeah, it's right inside the house. So that would also give you an indication as to what happened and well, how Well, you
2: know, I, I wonder if he came over the house <laughs> and <laughs> wanted to see the daughter. And the parents, the the mother and the grandparents clearly said, no way. And You've been doing
1: what? Communicating
2: right. with her online? They, but rem-
1: there was a how huge, old are you? Yeah, yeah
0: there was yeah. a huge objection. So he wanted to get them out of the way. So I, That could be one scenario. But yeah. remember... They were seen talking and arguing first before the fire. And mm. then it was the, the timeline, the initial timeline or preliminary timeline is after the argument, he drove over to the house or walked over to the house and killed the three individuals right. and lit the house on well, fire. she may have told him that this isn't gonna fly. Yeah. So back in the house. Again, the parents may not have never even known about right. What it. Right. He might have
2: said, Don't worry, I'll take care of that. Yeah. Three bullets and a match later, and
0: so you can come up with any scenario. Yeah, but yeah, it's probably something in that neighborhood, I would think. To your to your point, it's frightening to think that there was a 28 year old man across the country that jumped in his car and drove all the way out here with the intent the of God, grabbing I mean, this girl. There's
2: eight billion people online. I I mean, and there's a lot of sickos, a lot of wackos, and the market for for teenage girls is huge.
0: It's really really bad out there, and in the sex extortion thing, and. You know, I've talked to enough cybercrime people, especially one at L.A. County Sheriff's Department, a sergeant there. He says, I, I, we can't keep up and we can't emphasize enough with parents. What are they going to do? And parents are struggling with this. How do I give them their freedom, their space, you know, be their friend, be their parent, you know, be this, that, and the other. And, you know, that's why he says you need to put parental locks and parental, you know, restrictions on, on Internet, on apps. You need to get mirror apps so that you can see exactly what your kids are doing because this is what happens. All right,
1: Steve, thank you very much. Hi, guys. Steve Gregory, KFI News, reporting on the tragedy out in Riverside where three members of a family were apparently murdered, their house set on fire, and it looks like the person that did it was a Virginia cop came here to meet up with a teenage girl who lived in that home. He was eventually shot dead by police. John and Ken, KFI, AM640, live everywhere in the iHeartRadio app. Well, of course, after the COVID pandemic sweeped the nation back in 2020, it didn't take long for our political operatives to say, what are we going to do about our most vulnerable part of the population, the homeless? We can't put them in congregate living facilities like shelters. That'll just spread the disease. So somebody came up with a brilliant idea. Well, there's a lot less tourism going on right now. Hotels are empty. Let's take over the hotels and fill them with the homeless. One place where this happened in big numbers was San Francisco. They called it the hotel program. They used it to house almost 4,000 high-risk residents in 25 hotels. Well, you know, that wasn't free. They had to compensate the hotels. Clearly, not as much as a high-paying guest would pay. But uh, under the category of the bill is coming due, here comes the other part of that. The hotels are now suing for damages left by the vagrants. Millions and millions of dollars. Hotel Union Square in San Francisco has filed a claim they claim the vagrants caused nearly six million dollars in damages. Boy, that just sounds like a lot. I don't know how big the hotel is, but that just sounds like a tremendous amount of that money. That is a lot. No, that is a lot of money.
2: And the city has only offered to pay four hundred uh, thousand on a six
1: million dollar claim. On
2: a six million dollar claim, four hundred thousand <laughs> to repair
1: the damage. Sounds like this is going to trial.
2: <laughs> well, this uh, is what this is what the city does. They they commandeer your hotel. You think you're doing a good thing, and maybe you make a little money, right? It's better than nothing. Next thing you know, all the crazy, messed-out schizophrenics destroy the place.
1: And we heard these stories back when this was happening, uh, that there were reports that they were damaging, and according to the hotel, extensive damage to guest rooms, common areas, and elsewhere on the property. But this
2: is why you cannot build new housing for these people. Sorry, this is what they'll do to the new housing. You build stupid Garcetti's $700,000 apartment for a homeless person, what's going to happen? They're going to wreck the place in a week.
1: Yeah, well, we got that idea. Remember when we did the show from Skid Row? We were standing right in front of one of those nice new buildings that they put up for the vagrants, and it was overrun with drugs and hookers. Yeah, I remember somebody in the neighborhood
2: saying that as soon as this apartment uh, building opened up the drug pushers got inside and they went door to door with a tray and a menu of drugs to sell to the homeless who had just gotten uh, a new place immediately so i I i think the people who got the rooms in this apartment building had gone to some kind of rehab program some kind of treatment But the next day, as soon as they got the room, they were back on the drugs because they were getting so many offers. Literally, drug runners banging on the door saying, hey, look what I've got.
1: And what we heard about in San Francisco was, well, they didn't want the vagrants to leave their rooms. Because obviously, if they wandered around a lot, they had a chance of catching COVID. So not only did they bring them food, they brought them booze and pot in some cases to keep them staying
2: there. Yeah. So San Francisco... Gave, gave drug and booze room service to the homeless people who uh, showed their appreciation by wrecking the place and costing millions of dollars worth of damage. This is why these programs should be shut down. They're all doomed to failure. They've already failed. Can you imagine if these people had successfully lived in these hotels for, for months or a year, whatever it was, and everything went smoothly? You'd never hear the end of, well, oh, this is a prototype for what we need to be doing for all the homeless people in the city. Instead, when, when, instead, it's a disaster, and they try to downplay the disaster by
1: lowballing the settlement offer. Uh, another hotel called Tilden has also filed a claim. They're asking for $6.5 million in damages. I go to San Francisco, but I'm not familiar with either one of these hotels. And I don't know whether or not they were considered upscale or medium scale before the. Well, before the vagrants moved in, there are also potential claims from the Good Hotel and Hotel Vertigo, which are owned by Oxford Hotels and Resorts well, of Chicago.
2: I know they put them in some of the nicest hotels on Knob Hill, like the oh, Mark they Hopkins did, huh? Hotel. Yeah.
1: Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. You did mention that one. Right. Day, right. Because
2: I went in there uh, a, a, a couple of months ago and I found the news story, which we had done on the air at the time about how the homeless got in there, meth addicts, and they would get into wild fights in the lobby or in the garage because they were all methed out. Yeah. And, oh. and there was there was still a homeless guy having lunch there. When we went uh a few weeks
1: ago, we see back. what the the uh Aaron Peskin of the city's attorney's office said, well when we rapidly house thirty seven hundred people, we're aware that some of them would be tough customers. Tough the customers. city's prepared to pay for whatever real damage been caused. But some of these claims could be inflated. We'll pay what we legitimately owe. It just sounds like a BS comment. But Tough like customers? That. Tough how about, customers. How about drug-addicted,
2: uh, psychotic
1: schizophrenics? Why don't we try that on? <laughs> All right, we got more coming up. John and Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up after 4 o'clock, I tell you, profilers are working overtime on this uh, murder of the four college students in Idaho. Uh, we still don't have an arrest. Police aren't saying much about their case or what they have. They've gotten so many tips. They witnessed or rather interviewed so many people that somehow may be involved in the case. These four college students were murdered really it's a few weeks ago now in their home that they lived in off campus. Two roommates, of course, uh, were also in the house at the time but were not harmed. The four that were killed uh, hung out a lot together, a lot of pictures of them together. It's one male and three females and one of the males and the females are Uh, Boyfriend and girlfriend. So we'll see about the latest coming up uh, when we talk to Alex Stone, ABC News for KFI. You
2: you know what I saw? One story said the police have a lot of detail. They're just holding on to it. Yeah. Because if they finally uh, close in on a suspect, they want to They don't want
1: them to know what they know. Right. Right. That's what usually the
2: case is. They they may not be as bumbling as they seem.
1: No. You're usually the one that says that. I don't, but...
2: Hmm. Well, because a lot of police are bumbling, <laughs> of course, and even that this story that I just mentioned that could just be a cover story. Oh, we know more; we're not telling. <laughs> we don't want the bad guy to find out. Yeah.
1: You find that ex- exit ramp, and you go right on it. You're good. Uh, you know what? I, I don't trust people. All right. Well, this falls under the category of nice try, and it's too bad it didn't work. Uh, we have talked about uh, the awful burden on property owners, small landlords we often talk about. We've had to deal with these uh, these tenant uh, eviction protections. And by that, it means, well, the tenants don't have to pay rent. That's the only recourse you have. When a tenant doesn't pay rent, you then start to move into eviction proceedings. But you've been not allowed to do that in the state of California. They finally let that one go. By the way, it, it dropped, I think it was a while back, like nationwide. A lot of places dropped their eviction bans. And I remember the papers were full of stories for weeks before that. Oh, my God, there's going to be so many more homeless. The fallout from this will be unbelievable. They can't do this.
2: Never happened. It didn't happen. Of course right. it didn't happen. Because most people are responsible. And if they can't afford the, their current place, they move to a cheaper apartment. Most of these people had jobs. They were paying rent. They were just given an unnecessary break not
1: to pay rent. Exactly. Uh, From the people who believe in no rent. Right. So one developer went to court saying that his real estate company should be compensated for losses that they've incurred as a result of these tenant protections in the city of Los Angeles. Uh, This company... GHP Management Corporations, owned by a real estate developer named Jeffrey Palmer, said they experienced more than $20 million in lost rental income as a result of these emergency tenant protections. At the same time, uh, GHP and other companies owned by this man said they expected their losses to triple by the time the moratorium is repealed. So what they tried in this lawsuit was to make the case that this was a government taking a private property. Well, in a 15-page ruling, they lost. U.S. District Judge Dean Pregerson said this particular ordinance from the city of Los Angeles did not constitute a taking of private property as defined by federal law. This, by the way, is a federal judge. That's the key. Of course it's
2: the government taking private property or controlling it. It's just it didn't meet the strict definition under federal law because no one conceived that you'd have a COVID pandemic where local governments would try to do this sort of thing.
1: It's so interesting they, that he said, well, it only covered a limited period of time and does not constitute a permanent taking of property. Right. Well, we it, don't know that yet, but it's, <laughs> it's been around since 2020. Well, and the story we did last week... They're not moving very fast to to certify the repeal of the ordinance. The city council is just like dragging its feet.
2: Well, yeah, because I think the communist Nithya Raman, one of the council people, is in charge of a key committee. Yeah, and, and so she'd she, like to keep it around forever. So here, here's here's what you have. I mean, there's, there's only a few basic philosophies of government in the world, in the modern world historically. And one of them is that this communism-socialism. Category, and mm-hmm. that's where the government dictates what businesses do. The government dictates uh, how private property is handled. And the more communist a country, uh, the more the government owns the property or at least controls it. And in Los Angeles, we are in a socialist environment. The, the city council is basically socialist, and under under their version, their definition, they can control your property for X amount of time for. In this case, uh, COVID. This is all setting precedents. This is all groundbreaking, what they're doing here. You're going to see this come back again and again. They declared a COVID emergency. Anything goes. Yeah, they well, could find
1: another excuse,
2: right? Sure. They're going to declare a homeless emergency. Anything goes. <laughs> because their, their system that they'd like to impose is the government controls property. The government regulates property what a land, What an owner does, who they take in, what they charge. And there's a receptive audience. We now have a critical mass of poor people, immigrants, illegal immigrants. And what happens over time is the nature of society changes. And now we have a critical mass of people who feel comfortable with the government providing for them. And they have been now trained to think that people who are successful, anyone from a billionaire to a local landlord, is a bad guy, is a bad woman. Because, look at that, they own things. Look, they've got
1: money. They're not good. Which is far from the truth, because maybe not the case with this developer, but a lot of them are smaller landlords who have been really hurt by this. I mean, we're talking about coming up on three years but, of tenant protections like this? But if you
2: have a critical mass of the population who believe that owning is bad, that owners are bad, that, that people who succeed in life is bad, you'll have a, a critical mass of people receptive to the idea that, yeah, the government should control the rents, right? We've had no. rent control for, for decades in some areas. This is the next step. Now they're going to decide, eh, no rent at all. Forget rent control. There is no rent.
1: No, they believe in something very basic that capitalism fails too many people. Well, too many uh, people get uh, left behind by capitalism. Well, uh, well, the government uh, has to step in and correct
2: that. Of course it does. When the government lets in millions of illegal immigrants and at the same time drives out millions of jobs through overregulation of industry, then yes, capitalism has failed. Well, truth is, capitalism didn't fail. <sighs> government failed with overregulation driving out jobs and opening the border widely. And. Changing the way, you know, in the generation we grew up in, our parents' generation, there was no such thing as not paying your bills. And there was almost no such thing as homelessness. It was, you're responsible. You have to work. You have to pay your bills. There's no getting around it. And, and that changed little by little, and it became, no, the government will help you, right? Welfare used to not exist. 60 years ago, there was little to no welfare.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were hobos after the Great Depression. Yeah, that was the big the time right, for them, riding right. the trains. and
2: Sure. And, and, and there was a, you know, a scattered drunk or two. But there wasn't this whole-scale homeless industry with all these, with tens of thousands of customers. Yeah, no. the Great Depression, yes, produced a, a, a lot of misery. We, we don't have a Great Depression now. We've had the most the most successful economic times over the last 40 years. I, I mean, there's no excuse for this. It's because the culture changed and because people became dependent and, and expected that the government was going to send them some kind of a check in some form and that they were no longer responsible for themselves and their family. And I, the, I people warned about this at the beginning of the welfare age, you know, 50, 60 years ago, they said, that's what's going to happen. And you'll just get more of this. And they were
1: absolutely right. All right. We got more coming up. John and Ken, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, coming up after 4 o'clock, Alex Stone, ABC News for KFI, will be our guest to talk about the Idaho student murders. Uh, four students who attended the University of Idaho and lived in a, well, three of them did, in an off-campus house. One of them was one of the girls' boyfriends, uh, were found murdered a couple of weeks back. The case is moving slowly and reporters are dogging the police for updates. We'll see what the latest is after the news at four o'clock. I did read a couple of profiler pieces over the weekend. I am very curious about this case. uh, Obviously, and everybody knows this, probably whoever did this is connected to one of these four people somehow. Mm. Whether they know it or not, right? Whether it was a stalker they weren't aware of. Or some bad romantic break from years ago, or something like that. But one profiler said, which I thought this was a bit unique, he thinks this is a first time killer who is comfortable with blood.
2: I saw that. Yeah, you saw which, that one. Which too. sounds like a contradiction, except maybe. Unless they
1: work in the medical field, maybe? He, and he, they, yeah,
2: because can
1: you. Uh, this
2: is weird to say, but put aside how horrible and heinous, right? actually stabbing somebody and the blood all spurts out all over you and all over the place, a normal person would freak out. You know, even if they had some kind of rage where they wanted to lash out, to actually do it and deal immediately with the aftermath. And doing it four times in one night. Right. So he does it, and it doesn't freak him out. He doesn't have, oh, my God, what have I done moment, right? This is, I'm going to do it again. And again. And then again, and get, get out, go out of their way to find more victims. Now you're dealing with somebody who's either ex- on the extreme psychotic scale or and or somebody who has been around blood. Blood's no big deal. Me, I can't even look at uh, getting a flu shot in my arm. I can't watch that. Freaks me out. <laughs> if I cut myself shaving, I'm freaked out. Whoa. I can't. I, I I just can't imagine blood gushing out of another person right in front of me, and I did the deed. Ah, they're, so there, one of those one of those girls probably uh, knew some guy who's extremely disturbed. it's hidden psycho,
1: or didn't know this guy was obsessed with them or something, and right. got jealous. I mean, you know, if you're talking about that, it points to the couple only because then he would have seen the boy and the girl together and maybe mm-hmm. gotten really worked up right. over this, but we don't Beca- Because he killed he killed the guy, too. He killed the guy, too. All right, well, these stories come up every now and then, and it's a real question for Deborah Mark, mm-hmm. our animal lover. Mm-hmm. How worked up are you either way about a man that apparently hunts birds? And you can see him. He likes to take his dogs out there, and I guess he shoots the bird, and the dog and goes and retrieves it, and brings it back to him. Well, this is a Turkish man who, right now, they're saying he died during a hunting excursion and he may have been shot dead by one of his own dogs. But <laughs> his dog shot him? <laughs> yes. The story is, he was putting his dog in the trunk of the car when the dog's paw inadvertently touched the trigger of a still-loaded shotgun and it discharged into the man at close range and killed him. Loom away. They're still investigating this, but this is the story right now. Mm. So, are we on the side of the hunter or the dog here? The dog. <laughs> I don't like hunters. I'm sorry. Please don't send me emails. I'm not going to read them. And I, I, I don't like people that go and 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 shoot any kind of animal, even birds. In fact, when I'm watching TV or a movie and I see any kind of hunting, even if it's a bird, I can't watch. I have to.
2: Yeah, they no. they have photos, and Ray helpfully printed out uh, color photos. Hmm. High-quality color photos of him holding up a collection of dead birds that he shot. I'm going to
1: over there, so you, don't you bother. Might... Don't even put it by the camera because I'm not looking. <laughs> he apparently, though, was a new father. Well, that is sad. I, I, I'm sad. Ten days after he became a new father. <laughs> I love how you held back that to he's detail. He's dead, yeah. <laughs> it's still unclear if the dog actually did this. This guy has posted many photos of himself with several dogs, including a recent one where he's holding up a string of dead birds with one hand and petting a dog How would, with the other. The dog How was pissed. He's saying, enough, enough with the killing of the birds. Really? really? He yes. Did not get that
2: much out of it? He yeah, that's had, what I'm thinking. He happened. probably had to track down the birds after they were shot. He, and, didn't, he was done. And bring them back. <laughs> and he goes, I'm not putting one more dead bird in my mouth. Right. Give me that gun.
1: Some Turks think it's a cover-up, and the man was murdered. Well, They're making the dog as an excuse.
2: How would they know that the dog pulled the trigger? The or... dog
1: stepped on the. Yeah, I don't
0: know. That's a no. Uh, an
2: unusual well, dog. What's the evidence? I mean, there isn't like there's not a paw print on the on the trigger.
1: I guess you have to do forensics and try to recreate what possibly happened, and that must have come up as one of the possibilities. Mm-hmm. said. All right. When we return, Alex Stone will be here. It's now been more than two weeks after the Idaho college students were murdered. There is still no suspect, motive, or weapon. He'll update us. John and Ken, KFI AM640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Deborah Mark live in the 24-hour KFI newsroom. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years.
0: Listen to Locadora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.